0: You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. Hello and welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach.
1: And I'm Sally. And
0: you're listening to episode nine. This is one in which we're going to talk to Nathan and Sadie. And We'll be talking with them in just a few minutes, but before we do that, we have two things. First, your tip of the week, which is coming up. Uh, Second, we want to talk briefly about the content of today's episode. We talk about a pretty controversial issue, and we've covered some things that people don't agree on previously, but this is probably the most contentious that we've covered yet on Vernacular, and we want to uh, make sure that our listeners feel like they can be a part of the conversation, so feel free to let us know if you disagree or agree with where the conversation heads today.
1: Yeah, if your viewpoint or another viewpoint is not aired in our conversation today, then please bring it to our attention via email or if you'd like to come on the show and share your opinion, we would love to have you.
0: So reach out to us, Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. You can also uh, find us on social media and we'll talk about that at the very end. But if you just head to vernacularpodcast.com, you'll find plenty of ways to get in touch with us. So I just wanted to mention that. And now let's do the tip of the week.
1: Hashtag tip of the week.
0: All right, so those of you who listened to us last week remember that our tip of the week was about s'mores in advance of the 4th of July.
1: Yes, we gave you all these great ideas for how to make your s'mores over the top.
0: And our tip of the week this week is just basically a report of how our experiments went.
1: Yes, and our number one recommendation is to switch out the milk chocolate for dark chocolate. It is it's just going to blow your mind.
0: I have to admit, I am a s'more classicist. Some might say snob, <laughs> but I prefer the term classicist. And by that I mean I am a purist. I like classic s'mores graham crackers marshmallows and chocolate but i've never tried dark chocolate instead of milk and i tried it this time and it was amazing i've been craving s'mores ever since
1: it was so good and yeah, he actually made a s'more the other day just over the open flame of our oven <laughs> burner. He was so obsessed with the s'mores after I that. I don't think you're going to tell people
0: about that. <laughs>
1: of course I am.
0: <laughs> that is true. I did. I just turned on the gas burner in our house and roasted marshmallows. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. But. but
1: that could be a tip as well. If you're really craving s'mores, that's what you can do.
0: So some other hits at our 4th of July party involved Nutella on Nutella? s'mores. The
1: mm-hmm. banana. And- banana. Nutella and banana.
0: And a combination of the two. Yeah. And, and uh, one person actually melted the chocolate as well as the marshmallow. So you can try that if you're interested in making a disaster.
1: <laughs> she just she just put the graham cracker with the chocolate on top of the graham cracker onto the grill and then waited until it was gooey and then mushed it all together and she was a mess afterwards. So, yeah. so if there you it don't is. mind being a mess, then <laughs> <laughs> then try that that's out. That's a good option. So that's your hashtag tip of the
0: week. There it is. Next up, Nathan and Sadie all right welcome back episode nine we're here with Nathan and Sadie and uh, they are husband-wife team now living in North Dakota and we'll be talking to them later on about how they got there but Nathan and Sadie welcome to the show thank you thanks Uh, we're hoping you guys can introduce yourselves briefly to our listeners
2: sure Um, okay well I'll go (laughs) So, obviously, we're Nathan and Sadie, and our last name is so hard to pronounce, so I'm not even going to deal with it, because nobody will even understand what it is. Um, And we met when Nathan was at the academy in his sophomore year, Um, and I am from Colorado Springs, and so I was around lots of cadets. And And that's
3: the Air Force Academy that she's talking about. Got it.
2: And we got married three years ago and we've just been doing the air force moving having babies life <laughs> since then so nice
0: yep it sounds like a good life though
2: yeah it is not bad
0: so you guys have one daughter correct
2: yes, yes. we have one daughter she's 18 months old and her name is Pippa
0: Good name. Then, was she yeah, named after know. the, uh, sister of the Duchess of Cambridge?
2: Uh, she was a common,
0: question. common question. <laughs> I figured,
2: um, I fell in love with the name when I was living in England and heard it in Ireland. Um, and then I found out after I fell in love with the name, why I liked it so much is because a lot of kids there are named Pippa because of the sister of,
0: <laughs> the ah, I see. So and sort I'm of indirectly.
3: Sorry, like, yeah. Third generation, you know, yeah. the... nice. So,
1: it's yeah. adorable. <laughs> As she is,
3: yep. <laughs> we also have a dog, uh, German Shepherd, that you guys may hear barking throughout the show. Oh, perfect! Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. our first dog, actually. That's we, true. We've yeah. never had a dog in the podcast before. That's yeah. true. Before. We've
0: had babies multiple times, but so never a this dog. This is
1: exciting. Yeah. yeah, so that's a dog
2: that it, well, you'll hear <laughs> <laughs> asleep, and she will be for the next probably 10 hours, so we're good.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, to fill, fill in the blanks, I'm a helicopter pilot in the Air Force um, flying Hueys. And yes, we still fly Hueys in the Air Force, um, which is also a common question. So,
0: now, the Huey that was used in Vietnam, right?
3: Yes. And our helicopters, the serial numbers on our helicopters start with 6 9, which means they were built in 1969.
0: Oh, wow. And they're still <laughs> flying.
3: They are still flying. Still, wow. Yeah. Do you feel
1: <laughs> safe in those?
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Helicopters. In some ways, are more dangerous, but in other ways, if anything goes wrong, you can almost immediately land anywhere.
1: So even though they were built in 1969, they yes. are still capable of doing that.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's seen several upgrades since then, and yeah. So
0: now, now, Sadie has uh, Nathan been able to take you on any incentive rides?
2: Um, no, and I don't know if I would fly with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, just being super honest. The Air
3: Force, in fact, won't let us fly yeah, together. Yeah,
2: they wouldn't let us do it. Anyway, oh. there's a spouse flight coming up July 11th that I'm going to do um, mm-hmm. with some other pilots at the squadron. But even if Nathan could fly me, I don't think I would go up. I mean, I trust him. I'm sure he's a great helicopter, but I like watching from a great helicopter. A great <laughs> pilot. <laughs> I'm sure he's a great pilot, and I like watching from the ground.
0: Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for those introductions. Um, for our first topic of discussion today, we wanted to talk about some current event stuff that have been in the news. And we're a few weeks behind on these things, but I think it actually might be a better time to talk about them now that things have died down a little bit. So we wanted to talk about the, um, the announcement from Caitlyn Jenner. And I'll insert an editorial note here that uh, we're going to be referring to Caitlyn uh, with the pronouns that she has described herself as. Um, And that's uh, the reason we're doing it is just out of respect for her that we're um, that she's said she wants to be identified as a woman. So we'll be identifying her by uh, female pronouns and by the name Caitlin. So the announcement of Caitlyn Jenner that she is now identifying as a woman, formerly Bruce Jenner, of course, uh, and then the scandal involving Rachel Dolezal, who was a white president of the Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP but who was not just the white president, was the white president who was claiming to be a black person. Um, And not just claiming to be a black person, but also claiming to have experienced racism uh, because of uh, her race. Um, And also, I think, claimed to have a black son uh, and so it was basically claiming a lot of the black experience for herself when it for was for the past 10 years. Yeah. For the past 10 years when it was not hers to claim, including um, claiming black family members, etc. So I um, thought we could compare these two situations because there are similarities. Um, but at the same time, the the media establishment seemed to um, applaud Caitlyn Jenner for announcing her change and embracing and identity that was other than that with which she was born. And on the other hand, Rachel Dolezal doing the same thing, but with race instead of gender, uh, and the media uh, almost uniformly denounced her decision to do that. Um, and so I thought we could kind of tease that out a little bit, talk about some of the issues uh, surrounding both of these cases. Um, and I think the obvious thing up front we can say is that it's clear that Rachel Dolezal was intending to deceive. So that's one reason we can point out Mm -hmm. why um, media would look at her case very skeptically and that of Caitlyn Jenner's um, not in the same way. So there's that up front and we'll issue that disclaimer, but um, otherwise I'll open the floor for discussion. What do you guys think?
3: First, I want to say that you know, we said I was in the Air Force, but what I say here is my views and not the views of the Air Force or the DOD or the government or anything like that. Got so it. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Um, <clears throat> I think very recently, even two or three months ago, I would have said that Rachel Dolezal and Caitlyn Jenner are uh, the same and under the same delusion or whatever you would like to call it and that both are wrong, basically, by uh, in the one case claiming to be black and the other claiming to be female. Um, but what has changed my views on this topic significantly recently is a blog and a series of Facebook posts by the um, retired Lutheran pastor of my grandparents' church who recently revealed that he has gender dysphoria. Wow. Um, And in the Lutheran Church, only men can be pastors. He was a pastor for an entire career. Um, He was married with kids, and he just revealed after he retired that he has gender dysphoria um, and that he often wants to be female, that these feelings started for him, I think, when he was a teenager, and that he's been concealing them throughout his career. I, I don't think he hid them from his wife. It's really given me a lot more compassion for people with gender dysphoria and a lot more understanding of their condition. And so I think that's one big difference between Caitlyn Jenner and uh, Rachel Dolezal is that there's actually a medical condition for gender dysphoria, where as in the case of Rachel Dolezal, something like that doesn't exist. It's just something she's kind of making up it seems.
0: Right, so, I know the uh, the American Psychiatric Association has their gigantic, you know, manual of psychiatric disorders. I think it's called DSM-4. The four is with Roman numerals, if I am recalling this correctly. Mm-hmm. And um, in that manual, the term <clears throat> the term gender identity disorder used to be what described um, what presumably Caitlyn Jenner has. I'm not a medical professional, but you know. yeah. And now the uh, the term has changed to gender dysphoria, but it describes the same phenomenon. So. In that case, you know, this is a real documented medical phenomenon. We've changed our terminology, however, from one of disorder, you know, we're making instead of making an implicit statement about the the disorder of this uh, mental condition. Now we're, you know, kind of using words about uh, confusion to describe this, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I think you're definitely right. This is a a documented thing. And one word that you mentioned uh, at least once, which I think is so important uh, in engaging in these issues is the word compassion.
1: Well,
3: yeah.
1: I think that's yeah, yeah important to remember, especially because gender dysphoria could mean so many different things for different people. Um, obviously, Caitlin decided to to go through the transgender process and become a woman physically as well as psychologically. But
3: mm-hmm. other people,
1: and possibly this, you know, the pastor that you're talking about, Nathan, he's going to remain male. There are other people who experience gender dysphoria and they kind of go through bouts of of changing their their gender identity and you know they may cross dress and then on the weekends and then during the week they you know remain whatever their physiological gender is. Yeah. There's just mm-hmm. it's hard to to put a label on on those kind of people who are experiencing gender dysphoria because there's so many different experiences about it. I think that's probably one reason why the term was changed because now the focus is on what is the experience of the person versus what is yeah. our reaction to them.
0: Mhm.
2: I had a few good friends in high school that um, either were gay or were experiencing some form of this gender dysphoria, and like you said, would experiment experiment with like cross dressing on the weekends or you know just different things to try to supplement what they were feeling. Right. And, and so I think that's where like it took Nathan a while to kind of. Um. To kind of be on the same not the same page but it took like we were on kind of different pages for a while about this issue and about just this this trend in our society that started to slowly switch towards um you know going from the word gender disorder to gender dysphoria and um it's been an interesting thing for us in our marriage to kind of watch like whereas I'm like hey these people are really struggling with like a specific mental thing that's going on. And that's a lot easier for me to understand, uh, as someone who struggles with like severe depression, um, you know, like my brain won't make sometimes the chemical that it needs to make or,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And I would imagine that's what somebody who's going through gender dysphoria, like partly of right. what they're feeling is that their brain is just not, you know, it's just, Not working.
3: Yeah, definitely. And in in fact, the description of gender dysphoria from this pastor and and what Sadie's told me about depression sound very similar where it can kind of come and go and get stronger and weaker. And some days he feels like a female and a fraud dressing as a male, but some days he's doing pretty good as a male you know what I mean? Yeah. And Sadie, you know, sometimes she's doing very well with the depression, but then sometimes it it hits her a lot harder. Right. And not
2: that like depression and I mean, that's in no way. Yeah. I'm not like, Oh, I understand what they're going through, like by any means, but, um, just learning to have compassion for somebody who is struggling with such an internal, like heart and soul and like brain issue, because I do have something along those lines, just like the intense struggle inside to just be something you're not or to be something that you know you shouldn't be or you know the like the difference between what your heart tells you and what your brain tells you and so just ha- kind of having that experience I've um, learned to have a lot more compassion so like when the whole Caitlyn Jenner thing happened like I kind of saw it as like oh this person like I need to be praying for them and I need to you know, respect the decisions that she has now made and I don't know her. And so me praying for her, talking about her, isn't going to may not make a direct impact, but it's a lot easier for me to have compassion instead of judgment and to, um, just be more understanding instead of like, Oh, this is wrong. And this is this, and this is this. It's a lot easier for me to just sit back and kind of accept it.
1: Yeah. And I think it's fair of you, Sadie, to compare, to some degree, your experience of depression with um, someone's experience of gender dysphoria, because there's only, you know, a small level. Well, there's, there's varying levels of choice involved. It's not that, you know, someone can have the same misunderstanding of depression that, oh, why can't you just choose to be happy? (laughs) And it's not that simple. Why can't you just choose to feel like the man that your body says you are? Well, it's not that simple. So I think I think that's a fair comparison.
3: That's one of the things I was talking to this pastor about is, you know, is he male or is he female? And so we believe that God created him and that sin corrupted him, not his sin or his parents sin, just that we live in a broken world. And so did God give him a female mind and then sin corrupted that with a male body? Or did God give him a male body and sin corrupted that with a female mind? You know, and so that's kind of the struggle that he's part of the struggle that he, he's dealing with there. So.
2: And that's kind of been interesting just seeing his, this pastor's, because um, I think that this pastor kind of started opening up on Facebook right when Caitlyn Jenner mm-hmm. kind of released that you know, she had become a woman and everything. And so seeing those two side by side. Um, and then the Rachel Dolezal thing just made it seem so like so drastically different because this is somebody that like I've met this pastor before and you know his grandparents so this is somebody I know that is struggling is struggling with this um, like Caitlyn Jenner and it seems so much more real and more of a actual like medical soul kind of problem versus Rachel Dolezal which I personally kind of I just didn't really understand that I was like so she just wanted to be like I couldn't think of I didn't know if there's any medical like
3: yeah
2: any kind of basis to what she was feeling or wanting other than you know just whatever benefits it would get
3: her yeah I guess that's yeah. where
1: I'm not quite sure if we can pass total judgment on Rachel Dolezal yet because maybe mm-hmm. maybe she is experiencing some sort of mental problem that she that we had, don't understand yet. Um, I mean I definitely think there's a difference between the two in because of the deception and the fact that she concealed this for so long and and um, made up people who don't exist like black relatives but the fact that she said she identifies as black, I guess, that in and of itself could be similar to gender dysphoria, that she has this racial dysphoria, Um, regardless of the way she, she reacted to it and handled the situation. I think she handled it poorly, but I wonder if what she's experiencing is similar. I don't know. I know very little about psychology.
3: Yeah.
2: Right, and the basis for that, like, might be very similar to, you know, the mental basis for gender dysphoria or... You know, for depression or whatever, like I try, I mean, as much as I don't understand what she did versus what Nathan's pastor is going through or Caitlyn Jenner like that, I'm more compassionate towards, but even still, I try to think like, like you said, that there's something mentally that isn't right. That would keep, cause her to lie and keep that up for so long. Right. And so I try to, I try to, you know, think about what that may be. And if it is similar to any kind of like mental disorder or. You know, where your brain where something went wrong with the connections and, and so I try not to be too judgmental of like that situation whereas it's a lot easier for me to have compassion towards people I know personally that are going through gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm.
0: So Yeah. Do you guys think yeah. that the um the gender identity disorder language is more helpful for us than the gender dysphoria language? And I ask this because I wonder if and I'm wondering, I'm I'm not stating, I'm wondering, I wanna want your guys' opinion. I, I have I'm leaning towards one side I'm leaning towards the side that gender dysphoria is less helpful and this is why I think when we say gender dysphoria we just are implying that this person just has like a, a problem uh, with associating with an identity and so we make the conversation about um, about not, not I don't know I don't know if I would say feelings but almost about um, cognition. Uh, and we, we make the conversation about what this person identifies as. Whereas the other one, when you de- describe it as gender identity disorder, we actually are calling this a disorder. And it doesn't mean, <clears throat> I think sometimes that can lead to people passing judgment in ways that are not helpful. That's not what I think gender identity disorder um, can do for us. What I think it can do is remind us that this is a disorder. Um, which I think, say to your analogy to depression was good because... I mean, no, this, you know, depression and gender dysphoria are not the same thing, but we all have crosses to bear. And the point with depression, like you pointed out, is that our, our brains aren't working like they're supposed to, right? I have close friends who struggle with depression on a regular basis and, you know, their, their brain is not working like it was intended to work. Um, and so similarly, I think people who struggle with gender dysphoria, their brain is not working the way it was intended to work. You know, something, something is wrong here and I think that that's what we should be able to say because I think we need to come down on one side of the fence or the other. Because this is a, this is a serious issue for lots of people.
2: I think you're right. Like, and I think that's something I need to. Nathan probably has it figured out. Like, has
0: <laughs> his opinion
2: on that figured out. But I'm still struggling with the distinction between dysphoria and disorder. And like, do I really? Because I I feel like it's hard. Because with depression, when it gets really bad and you know, when my brain is just not working, I can take medicine that will help fix the problem. And, you know, I don't think that's a sin. I don't think that's, I think that's a tool God has given me to be able to function and, and, you know, keep going through life is to be on medication for that. And whereas, you know, Caitlyn Jenner had this problem, brain wasn't working properly and felt the solution was to become, you know, have surgery and become a woman. And, As a Christian, I know that's not what God intended, but it's hard for me to, hard for me to accept that when I have a problem that is in my brain, but I can fix it and it's not a sin to fix it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I think you're right. We need to pick, you know, pick one or the other Um, disorder or dysphoria. I just have a really hard time sometimes with acknowledging in my heart that I know people who struggle with this it's a disorder and it, and the way to fix it is to not become the opposite gender. It's just hard for me to, to know that that's right all the time. When I know kind of the mental struggle that people are going through a little bit and how much I want them to be able to fix it in whatever way they can fix it.
0: How cold are you guys expecting it to get in North Dakota?
2: The average number that the neighbors throw out at me when I'm, you know, I'm going around meeting people and they're like, Oh, just wait for the negative negative
0: forties. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, no.
2: Um, wow. And so I, at first I would just kind of laugh. and like, oh, okay. But then, you know, like oh, I'm from Colorado. Like I can handle it. But then I guess that's an actual figure in the winter. It gets down to literally <laughs> negative 40.
0: Like they weren't joking. Um, that was, they were they serious. Weren't joking. They weren't exactly <laughs> right.
2: I thought they were just like being funny. No, it's, it actually does get down to negative 40. So Holy cow. that's a whole different caliber of outdoors activities that yeah. we have never experienced. That's before. just like, you don't
0: go outdoors kind of activities.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. much it. So we are getting, we're slowly building up our gear. Cause I mean, I guess there's a lot of like ice fishing and ice skating, you know, ice skating, snowshoeing. Um, wow. so I think we will probably get that. And
3: yeah. So as far as outdoor stuff, um, Recently in Albuquerque, I was doing some trail running, started doing some rock climbing, mostly indoors in Albuquerque, just because, um, just because of our situation there, Sadie wasn't able to accompany me to go outside a lot. And really the climbing in Albuquerque is about two hours out of town. And so with the baby, it's pretty difficult to get out of town and go climb there. Right. Um, but I was able to get out and do a little bit of stuff there. And then we, we just did a little romantic getaway to Glenwood Springs, Colorado, um, which is an awesome town if you're looking for outdoor stuff to do. Nice. Um, oh, cool. rafting, rafting, trail running, mountain biking, horse, <coughs> horseback riding. Um, and we did some rock climbing there as well. So right how does right trail... off highway.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Continue.
3: Go ahead. I was right, just gonna... it was, the climbing was right off I-70, so I <laughs> on each other. Yeah.
1: I was just going to ask, how And that did... was
3: actually... <laughs> are you <laughs> purposely doing trail, that now? Go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. we
1: are good. I how does trail running differ <laughs> from regular running? That is what I want to know.
3: <laughs> oh, trail running differ from regular yeah, running. Yeah, this would
2: definitely be a question that Nathan will answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am not your runner, so... And,
3: uh, personally, I prefer trail running much more Um, it is it's much more varied if you're running on the road um, you're oftentimes on much flatter terrain you're often near traffic which I don't like to be I like to be kind of out in the middle of nowhere in the woods by myself Um, and it's a much more varied training environment because there's hills there's turns it uses more muscles and I just like to be outside
1: Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, have yep. you guys heard of these ropes courses that, since you guys are big into rock climbing, have you heard of these ropes courses that are popping up around the country? So I read this article in the New York Times last week. Um, and so they're adventure parks, but they're all based around ropes and and rock climbing and things like that.
3: I have not heard of that, actually. It yeah. sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, they're called yeah. treetop parks, too. Um, okay. So... Yeah, so there's I guess a few the Professional Ropes Course Association, I guess, is has documented that there are now a hundred of these parks.
0: The Professional Ropes Course Association.
1: <laughs> yeah, but they're and they're usually aerial ropes courses. So I guess that's the yeah. different aspect of them because they're high up, like fifty feet or something. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just sounded really cool and and not anything that I've ever done before, but it looks really cool. So maybe that should be your next your next date, you should find a treetop yeah.
3: park. <laughs> we gotta find some trees first here in North Dakota. But...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Once we find some trees, then maybe we can
3: Yeah. Yeah. I guess snowmobiling is kind of a big thing out here. I'm not like a fun. huge fan of outdoor power sports, but yeah, that could be fun. So, so. do you guys
1: like to go camping? We do. We
3: actually, yes.
2: um, our honeymoon was,
3: <laughs>
2: part of it was in um, Hawaii. We did go to Hawaii and had a week there, but the rest of it was, the majority of it was camping, and it was, um, I think, for the longest stretch, we did six nights in a row camping. Did we? Yeah. And wow. um, Nice.
3: We, we, had, we did a road trip. We had, after you graduate from a military academy, I don't know how long, West Point's leave is. But from the Air Force Academy, you get 60 days of leave. Mm-hmm. And so... So just like paid we, vacation. It's a paid yeah, vacation, paid, yes. A two-month
2: big vacation, which yeah. we just took that and ran with it, literally. Well, we, we, run, we drove. We <laughs> drove from Colorado. <laughs> Your trail ran with it. Your trail ran <laughs> <Yeah>. with it. <laughs> we drove. We hit... Um, seven national parks. Seven national parks. Wow. And, you know, we camped for a lot of that. Yeah, and then you know after five or six nights, I was like, okay, we're gonna go get a hotel because I am, yes, I am tired of camping. But um, but yeah, we had all of our gear, little tiny little two person tents.
3: We registered for our wedding at REI. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: So what yeah. was the level yeah. of your camping like? Are we talking no showers? You're cooking for yourself? That kind of camping. There was
3: actually I can tell one funny story about our most remote camping night. I think, um. So we were in Sequoia National Forest, not the National Park yet, but the National Forest in California at probably seven or 8,000 feet. We drove our Subaru up this two-track to go camp in the National Forest, you can pretty much camp anywhere there. Um, And so we had set up the campsite, we had used our little jet boil stove to make dinner, and we hear rustling in the woods. And you know how, Everything sounds bigger in the woods, like a rabbit sounds right, like a course, deer yeah. and everything. But this was actually bigger. I could oh, I could no. tell.
2: Intense whistling and like kind of some grunting. Yeah.
3: Like,
2: I was remained totally calm.
3: <laughs> Sadie no, freaked out. I freaked out. <laughs> Got in the car, locked the doors, told me to get my gun, even though we were in California <laughs> and it was illegal to load the gun, I think. Um and in any case it wouldn't have helped um and so sadie's in the car with the doors locked and i'm sitting there by the campfire um prepared to meet whatever is coming our way and a cow walks out of the woods (laughs) and then it's so random more cows walk out of the woods 20 more cows
2: (laughs) there's this herd of cows like and we weren't I mean, we were on a mountainside, like it was you know, yeah. there's kind of a cliff on one part and so these cows just kept, you know, trotting by and we're just like, Well, that was a camping experience. No,
3: Sadie <laughs> was still freaking out and making me scare away the cows. That's so funny. <laughs> is what was going on. But I guess they were free range cattle up there. So Nice. Yeah. So that was the most remote of our camping sites. We did some camping at like a KOA. You know that had a water spigot near the campsite and showers down the dirt road nice, but,
0: yeah, your guys yeah. your guys um rustic camping honeymoon reminds me kind of of our honeymoon <laughs> we had uh we had some very generous friends put us up in a very nice hotel in downtown Chicago <laughs> 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 because uh because we're just pansies when it comes to camping,
1: <laughs> okay, so let's just clarify that. I have fond memories of camping rustically. If that's a word, when I was a child, uh-huh. but now I think I kind of tend towards, or if I did go camping, I haven't been camping since I was, I don't know, a teenager, but I think I would want to go glamping. <laughs> have you guys I heard of glamping? <laughs>
2: yes. I actually, this is going to reveal how really exciting I am, but I have a whole Pinterest board <laughs> <laughs> um, on like this whole glamping trend, and there's like little you know, the little Airstream trailers with like adorable gingham print curtains (laughs) and like this whole, it's a whole trend and I find it kind of interesting.
3: There are now ultralight folding camping chairs that rock. Oh, wow. wow. So you can can have a rocking camping chair. That's That's the dream.
2: Wow. (laughs) That's pretty much our goal. That's
0: that's (laughs) the dream.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because I love the outdoors, but I also love a hot shower and a fireplace. Yes. And hot food that maybe I didn't burn in my little, you know, <laughs> tiny kitchenette or whatever.
3: <laughs> and so. and that's kind of what we did in Glenwood, staying in a hotel. Oh, it was a small hotel, a historic hotel, though. And we were, you know, right near. We could walk right out of town onto a trail or go to the hot springs or you know, drive yeah. three miles out of town to go climb. So, there you go,
1: perfect. Yeah, yeah I could get behind yeah. that.
3: Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> was, a lot of fun. Enough. And there was a coffee shop downstairs. So,
1: perfect. Yes, you know. that's yeah. that sounds like my ideal paradise vacation. That's the dream,
0: <laughs> with a yeah. ultralight folding rocking chair. That's the dream. <laughs>
3: Sorry.
1: how you guys met.
3: Okay, Um, well as we said I was going to the Air Force Academy at the time um, and I was involved in a Bible study group there called the Baptist Student Union Um, and they also had ministries at the other campuses in town and Sadie was going to Pikes Peak Community College at the time Mm -hmm. um, and we did a joint Christmas party with all of the campuses in town Um, and that's where we met, although I don't remember that. (laughs) Oh, really? That's hilarious. No, I don't remember that first Christmas party.
0: Yeah. We
2: met at that Christmas party and I thought we had a really good time. Um, (laughs) wow. I thought, you know, I was like, wow, this, we really connected and he doesn't quite remember that first meeting. (laughs) So that's okay. We just.
0: Yeah. Did you have a little bit too much um, of I'll the be... punch,
3: Nathan? Uh, yeah, yeah. The Baptist punch. <laughs> <The Baptist. laughs> so Nathan, in
1: your mind, when did you meet?
3: We met at the winter retreat, which followed about two months later. Ah. That's when, when in my mind we met. So, yeah.
1: And Sadie, did and you, you have, point... did you have the same connection that you had with him originally? Um...
3: Or
0: do you not remember that one? <laughs>
1: No, it's it's kind
2: of an interesting story before we actually started dating because, um, you know, so we actually met at the Christmas party and I was very attracted to him. And then other, other men came along. And so at this next retreat, um, I was more, I mean, this makes me sound like a boy chaser or something. I wasn't, it just, the way it worked out is I was actually hanging out a lot with a different guy, um. Nathan was interested in me, but I wasn't really interested in him at that time. And that trend kind of kept happening for back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. Um and I think right when we got to a point where like, oh, like we, we were hanging out a lot, and we felt like maybe it would be time to like have an open conversation about our relationship, then Nathan would start dating somebody else. Mm-hmm. Or um <laughs> And I did the same thing, like we just, and that was just I think God protecting us from dating each other that early, because if we had, I don't think we'd be married, I think, yeah, I think we were definitely going through a lot of changes and just um
3: that's more maturing to do. had a
2: lot of maturing to do before we actually, which might be made evident by the fact that we kept yeah floating around yeah. and and seeing other people so many different times before we can relate to that.
0: Yeah, Sally and and I met three years before we started dating, so.
2: Yeah, that was us. Two years of just kind of back and forth. Um, We finally, through a series of events and people talking to us, really clued in like, okay. And it was a weird feeling to feel like, um, like I kind of knew this was the person I was going to marry, which I know sounds very cliche and very cheesy, but when we actually kind of figured that out and pinpointed that moment in um, each of us, and when we kind of got on the same page with that, he called my dad and asked my dad if he could um, take me out on a date, which I found respectful and old-fashioned. Nobody had ever done that yet, and so I kind of liked that, even though it was a bit weird. <laughs> um, my dad said yes, and so we went to dinner at the Sunbird Restaurant in Colorado Springs, um, and it's kind of it's a pretty restaurant up on a hill kind of overlooking the city and it was just a really gorgeous spot for a first date and
1: yeah it sounds like was making
2: yeah we loved it and Nathan was making small talk about just oh how's the weather and like how's school going and and I pretty much just looked him in the eye and was like are we I can't remember my exact words but I pretty much said
3: like why are we here
2: why are we here if we're not going to get married? Like, were those my exact words? Why
3: are we here, I think, was a big part of it, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was pretty much, you know, like, we're not going to talk about how I'm doing in school. We're going to figure out, like, what we're doing and, and, you know, kind of where this is going to go, especially because I was leaving for a mission trip in England and India for six months. And so that was our first date, was me asking, are we going to get married or not, essentially. And... Nathan said like, yes, my, my intention is to get married to you. And we want to, you know, we both kind of talk about how we want it to pursue. Um, and that was
3: a Friday night. Sunday, I left for Dominican Republic for four weeks to do a language immersion program. And I think, yeah, I was able to call you there. I got some kind of prepaid phone and I called her a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to Colorado Springs for about 48 hours. Um, these were summer programs that I was doing from the academy and the next one. I came up actually to Minot, North Dakota, to see what the uh, real Air Force was like. And I actually flew with the same helicopter squadron. And I was up here for about three weeks. And then I came back to Colorado Springs. And we dated throughout the rest of the summer. And then at the end of September is when Sadie left for this six-month mission trip. But then when she was in India, there were sometimes up to like 10 days where I didn't hear anything from her just because she wasn't able to get to a phone or to an internet cafe or anything. And so that whole experience of that first year of dating really forced us to be able to communicate to each other over a long distance. Um, yeah, that's
1: a challenging first year.
3: Just, yeah. And to stay connected through all of that. So.
0: And then so how long after uh, Sadie got back did you propose?
3: Um, I think it was...
2: It's about four weeks, four or five weeks after.
3: Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. End of March to May 21st.
1: Just long enough to make sure you still had your your connection. (laughs) Well, I
3: was was thinking about doing it sooner than that, but my pastor mentor and some other people were like, maybe you should wait a little bit. (laughs)
0: And I know that in your pre-interview questionnaire, you mentioned that you've moved five times in three years of marriage. And Mm -hmm. obviously for the past 18 months of your marriage, you've also had a kid along for some of those moves. So I was hoping you'd just talk a little bit about maybe how all that stuff has shaped your marriage.
3: Yeah. So first like, just chronologically, we went to Pensacola for about six months. Um, I was going to do pilot training with the Navy there in a kind of a joint program. Um, but after I got there they shut the program down, anyone who hadn't started flying was brought back to an air force base. We went to, uh, Del Rio, Texas, where one of the air force pilot training bases is. And we were there for about six months of fixed wing training. And then I tracked two helicopters. Um, and so we went to Fort Rucker, Alabama, where the Air Force does its rotary wing training. And we were there for about six months of training. And then I was waiting for a training slot at the next base. So we were there for another eight months. Um, so we were there, that was our longest assignment to this point mm-hmm. of about 14 months. And then we went to Albuquerque um, where the upgrade training was, and we were there for about five months. And then so upgrade we were-
0: training is where you learn to fly your specific helicopter.
3: Exactly. yeah. Um, Fort Rucker is where we learned general helicopter flying. Um, and then Albuquerque is where I specifically learned how to fly the helicopter I'm flying now. Got it. and learn more about its mission in particular. So, and we were there for five months, and then finally, we're up here in North Dakota. So, which is where we'll be for about three years.
2: When we were in Pensacola, he barely had to work since he knew, kind of knew right away that we were going to have to turn around and leave. We were just kind of waiting for the approval to go through for that. And so we just went to the beach for, pretty much we just went to the beach for five, six months. And that was a very unrealistic, wonderful, but unrealistic experience of marriage so far. Because we just, we didn't really have any conflict, I don't think, because we just... No. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have a kid to worry about. We, we just went to the beach all the time and hung out. And then all of a sudden we went to Del Rio and, um, we, I started working at a winery full time and he was training, um, just crazy hours full time. And we were in a situation in a community that was very pro- Um, It was a student pilot base, and so it was just a lot of drinking and a lot of partying, and all of a sudden, we had to figure out, like, oh, who are we as a couple, and what do we think is right and wrong, and what are we going to allow in our home, and what aren't we going to allow in our home? And we had to figure that out for, you know, five different times for each place we went. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but how to, like, be each other's friend and hang out together, which whats what you're supposed to do when you're married, you know, that's standard. Right. But yeah. it, but it's a lot harder than I thought it would be not knowing anybody else somewhere and actually having to, like, be with this person all the time and not having any other outlets until I met people. And
1: and after a long-distance dating relationship, too, I think that's even harder.
2: Yeah, it was, it was definitely weird to all of a sudden be like, oh, this is how you hang up a towel? Like, <laughs> this is how you do this? And... Kind of get used to that. And so part of it was hard and it was definitely, um, I think we've been through a lot more transition and a lot more moves than a lot of people do in their first three years of marriage. Um, but it's been good for us. I think that's what we needed to really form like a good foundation for what we want our marriage to be. And then just the logistics of budgeting for each move and, you know, having to organize five different moves and then in the middle of all that move we moved from texas to alabama when i was six months pregnant seven seven months pregnant
3: and um and we did that move ourselves and um, i remember sitting there in our what had been our master bedroom in del rio at 11 o'clock at night with a lot of our stuff still all over the floor waiting to be packed and our toilet flooded oh (laughs) my gosh And Sadie was seven months pregnant. Yeah. And
2: I was kind of having contractions, you know, at that point, um, pretty early. And so I would just be like, sorry, I can't help you do anything. I'm going to have to sit here. And And so now there's
3: toilet water seeping into our stuff that's all over the floor. Oh, Oh, goodness gracious.
2: (laughs) That was a pretty intense move. Um, so we moved to Alabama, had a baby, had a baby in Alabama and, then moved with her to Albuquerque.
3: She was about a year old at that point.
2: 11 months when we moved. And so just all of that transition and just in the middle of all of those moves also becoming parents and becoming parents of a kid that you're then gonna move across the country with you. And um, there were definite moments where I don't think I definitely didn't handle it well. And we just, it was a struggle and it was hard and it was definitely definitely good for us because it really just forced us to like kind of dig in our heels and be like okay this is how we're going to stay civil to each other and not <laughs> not get stressed by all the details of moving so many different times and not having really a support system or a group of people to rely on in each place that we went to cuz we were so temporary
3: so we experienced simultaneously three all three of the major stressors I guess counselors talk about these three major stressors, which are um, a move, like moving across the country, which, oh, that was our fifth move from Albuquerque up to here. Um, a change of job. So I'm going from being in training to having you know a real operational job here in the Air Force in Minot. And then finally, a loss. Um, which is something we haven't mentioned yet. But while we were in Albuquerque, uh, we found out that Sadie had a miscarriage. Yeah, um,
1: tell us about that. Tell us how that that new challenge has impacted your marriage.
3: Yeah, that. That was
1: definitely.
2: I mean, obviously, that's something that had never happened before, and yeah, so.
3: Totally. Um,
2: and we had we had prayed and about having a second child, and felt that God was telling us to try to have another one and, and, and I felt peace about that. And so just that knowledge that we felt as a couple, like, okay, God, God is calling us to have a second, to have a second child right now. And I, I put faith in, like I told God, like, okay, you can plan my family and, and I'll give that control up to you. Well, what I didn't realize that meant is that is control in every area, not just the control to have, A second child but also the control to not have a second child and um, and so it was about a month of um, we were pretty unsure of what kind of what was going on for about four weeks um, the doctors would get our hopes up and be like oh you know things are looking good and then um, you know the next appointment would be no things aren't looking good and um, finally after four weeks of that um, we knew for sure like yes I was gonna miscarry and you know, was no way that this would be continue to be a viable pregnancy. And so that was right in the middle of him. Nathan was doing some, a lot of training and he actually got to, I had to call him, um, home one day and just tell him like, I can't do this with an 18 or I guess at that point, Pippa was about 15 months old. I think she had 103 temperature. She was sick. I was going through oh,
1: wow.
2: like right in the middle of, of the miscarriage and just barely able to get out of bed and it was just kind of really traumatic and hard. And so Definitely. that was really the first trauma that our marriage has,
3: yeah.
2: has gone through. And I think we're still trying to process through things a little bit. Um, yeah. maybe more individually as a couple, it was just the first really traumatic, like loss and thing that we had to figure out. And I had to figure out that my first, my first instinct was to just retreat into myself and not talk to him about how I'm feeling and...
3: And mine was to go for a long trail run.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so our grieving and our coping mechanisms and ways that we do that were very different. And it was hard for us, I think, to respect the other person, how they grieve and how they process through things. And I process through things by talking and talking and talking. And Nathan processes through things by being by himself for hours at a time and not talking for, like, three days and then talking about things.
0: One of these things is not like the other.
2: One of the... Yeah, and so it was just... And it was
3: especially difficult because I'm sure, as you guys can imagine, and anyone who's experienced miscarriage can attest to, a miscarriage really affects the woman more so than the man. Right. To varying degrees. Um,
2: Yeah, and I think...
3: But, I mean, Sadie, obviously a mother even from very early stages in the pregnancy, has a connection with that child. Um, and her hopes and dreams are growing you know, as that baby grows. And the man is kind of just seeing all of that from the outside and not getting as attached. Um, and so not only was I not grieving in the same way, I wasn't really grieving as much. And it was difficult for me to understand exactly how Sadie was grieving?
2: I mean, I think we both did, not did well with it, but we figured, kind of figured out tools and what we needed to do to to process through that. And, you know, obviously if you allow like trials like that and just really, really hard, horrible things that you go through, if you give yourself room to think about it and to breathe through it and be like, okay, we're gonna use this. Um, it definitely has made our marriage stronger and more, more open. And I'm able to be, um, to rely on him even more as, as a leader in the family. Um, cause I kind of thought I could control, you know, I was like, I'm the one having the babies. I can kind of, you know, do kind of control these. I just felt like I was in more, more in control and it taught us that God is definitely in control of every aspect, and it also taught me to rely on Nathan more. um.
3: And it taught me more, not only that God is in control, but that even though we live in a broken world and bad things happen, God is still in control. Um, I read, during that process, I read the book by uh, C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain. It is an excellent book, um, and it's a great book for anyone who may have questions about christianity but has that question if god is all-powerful and good how can bad things possibly happen and c.s lewis does an excellent job of addressing that question in there and, is that the problem
0: he's referring to in the title
3: uh, yeah the problem of pain yeah that's exactly the problem that if god is benevolent and omnipotent um, um, excuse me omnipotent how can bad things happen
2: And that was definitely a question that we just, I mean, maybe more I, but just that we went over and over with like, okay, we prayed to God that we were going to give up control and we prayed that we were going to do what he wanted and we felt like he wanted us to have a second baby and that's just so violently like ripped away from us and that was hard to figure out like why we thought we were doing the right thing and this is how we're, you know, I kind of feel like this is how I'm rewarded, this is how this is what I get for giving up control. And really what it's taught me is I, for giving up control, I get a lot of peace and a lot of, a lot of grace, even through a really, really um, traumatic and kind of hard experience like that.
3: Pippa has been a huge blessing throughout this because she's just so, she makes us laugh so much. (laughs) She's such a little fireball. Pretty almost every night in Albuquerque, if I was not flying nights, um, I would come home, we would eat dinner, and we would both sit on the couch and just watch Pippa play in the living room for Aww. an hour before she went to bed. And she would just toddle around and play with things. Tell <laughs> us
2: stories in her yeah. own little language. Aww. And yeah, we call it Pippa TV. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Adorable. Yeah. And she is just, I mean, she has like the personality of seven different teenage girls like, <laughs> in one. And she just keeps us going. And so. Yeah, And so she's been a huge, a huge blessing, just having that little light and that, um,
0: that constant source of joy.
2: Yeah. Constant source of joy and keeping me very busy. Yeah. yeah, So that has definitely been part of God's plan that we had her first and just that she's already been a blessing to me. I know like that that's weird for a toddler, but she's been a huge blessing to me. Um, just in, in our marriage and everything. So
0: that's so wonderful.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys so yeah. much. You've told such a beautiful story.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. We really appreciate you guys coming on.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys no for having us. We really enjoyed it. It was, it was awesome.
1: Yeah. All right. We're back and we're about to wrap up episode nine, but first we need to check our inbox.
0: Oh, let's see. What do we have?
1: Ooh, we have an email. This is from Nathan, but not the Nathan that we talked to today, another Nathan. He says that he was listening to our interview with Joshua, which was episode eight, in case you haven't heard that one yet. And he says, you both have great radio voices, very modulated and inflected. I also love that you name your episodes like friends. Cheers, Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. First of
0: all, I'm glad somebody finally noticed my radio voice. (laughs) I've worked very hard to cultivate this.
1: Practices it. I grew every up day. listening
0: to classical music DJs and I've tried to learn from the best. <laughs> You've been listening to the smooth sounds of Mozart's Eine kleine Nachtmusik. <laughs> <clears throat> well, thank you very much for that flattering comment, Nathan. Also, and thank I you so much. I love that you oh, mentioned. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, well, I love that he mentioned or that he realized that we're kind of doing a nod to friends. Yes, <laughs> that titles. was the first time no someone mentioned, mentioned that. that. Yeah. yeah,
0: so. Nathan gets the gold prize. He
1: must be a fellow friends lover.
0: And we promise this is a different Nathan than, than the one we just interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, what a great conversationalist and feedback giver. <laughs>
1: Well, if you haven't emailed us yet and you have some comment that you would like to make positive or negative, please do. It's Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com.
0: And just as a reminder to the conversation we had at the very beginning of this podcast, if you want to give any feedback specifically about the first issue we talked about with Nathan and Sadie, please do. We'd love to hear from you about that. We'd love to possibly bring you on the podcast if you'd be willing to do that. So Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. Also check out our website, vernacularpodcast.com. From there, you can find all sorts of ways to get in touch with us, including our Twitter, where you can follow us at Vernacular Pod or our Facebook at facebook.com/slash vernacular podcast.
1: And if you do want to be on the show, you can fill out our questionnaire by going to that page from the homepage, right?
0: Yep, right from the homepage.
1: And then you fill that out, and we will bring you on a future episode.
0: And it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, well, that is about it for episode nine, so we'll wrap it up here. Our closing music, as has been the case since we had him on the show, is from Jordan Short and his band, and it's a great song. I get pumped up every time I listen to it. So. Yeah,
1: it's so good. And if you want to hear more about Jordan and his lovely wife, Catherine, episode five is where you need to go.
0: Episode five. This, however, is episode nine, and we're wrapping it up for vernacular podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. You know, I'm by your side